Open your Bibles to Titus chapter 2 this morning. Titus chapter 2, I want to look this morning. I know uh, as I am, perhaps I hope you are looking forward to getting back into the Gospel of John. And I've been gone for a couple of weeks and uh, am just chomping at the bits to get back into John chapter 2. But this being Mother's Day, I, I think it's appropriate from time to time, not that we're dictated to by the calendar of a culture, but I think that this is a particularly timely opportunity to encourage and to strengthen the church of the Lord Jesus Christ here as it relates to a godly woman's picture and what does Scripture say about women uh, in the church. And, uh, you know, the last week has... If it's not done anything else, it's done this for us. It's reminded us that we are in a time in a great dearth and a great need of godly women. When we sing that line, that soul, though all hell. You know, I have to say that as I have seen some of the footage that has transpired over the last week, I feel like all hell has endeavored to shake the truth of God's Word, the truth of God's creation. The more we see around us, the more we see unfolding, the more this text becomes, in my thinking at least, even more important for all of us to consider. And so I want to consider a godly woman's picture. And by the way, I determined to preach this text long before we left on vacation. And so... Uh, it's not dictated by recent events, but boy, recent events have certainly highlighted a contrast that I think show us the necessity for you women, especially, to consider the Word of God and the vital role that you have in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in shaping your children and shaping those around you, uh, in ministering and being the light that God intends for you to be. Uh, through this text. And so let's dive into it this morning. Paul is writing. He has started out by writing to the elders of the church in verse, or, I'm sorry, in chapter 1. He has given the qualifications of elders, what men in the church to be. And let me just say this because we're coming up at the end of June and we'll be confirming two new elders here at Colonial Bible Church. And while it is imperative and non-negotiable that those men who serve in the office of pastor or elder or deacon meet certain requirements, they are not the only ones. God intends for all men in the church to live according to those requirements. But elders and deacons are to model those. They are to be the example of those. And so, Paul has been writing to Titus, and he starts out with the elders, but then he goes to chapter 2, and he specifically speaks to Titus, and he says this, beginning in verse 1, But as for you, Titus, you speak the things which are fitting for sound or healthy doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, Sound in faith, 
sound in love, sound in perseverance. Now notice how he transitions into dealing with the ladies, the women in the church. Older women. Likewise. Likewise. Everything I have said that applies to men also applies to you. Likewise, you are to be reverent in their behavior. Not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they, meaning the older ladies, may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. To be sensible, to be pure, to be workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Very sobering, isn't it? Very sobering. Let's ask the Lord's help. Father, help us now not only to hear the word, but to apply the word and to exalt the God of the word by the way in which we do the application of the word so that the word of God will not be dishonored and thus the God of the word would not be dishonored. Help us now as we think about this text. Holy Spirit, speak powerfully through it. Go to places no man can go and do the work that no man can do. We pray and ask dependent fully upon you to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. John Adams, second president of the United States, once wrote to his son that from all that I had read of history and government, of human life and manners, I had drawn this conclusion that the manners of women were the most infallible barometer to ascertain the degree of morality and virtue of a nation. Let me read that last part again. The manners of women are the most infallible barometer to ascertain the degree of morality and virtue of a nation. Now I understand this is not a message about a nation, but it is a message to the church. And may I say, if I may, in adopting Mr. Adams' statement, that the manners of women are the most infallible barometer to ascertain the degree of morality, virtue, and regeneration of the church. Ladies, you bear an unbelievable influence. Uh, 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 Probably an influence you are unaware that you bear within the church. And the church of Jesus Christ needs one thing. It needs an exalted Savior. And it needs the strong preaching of the Word, as Paul says to Titus. Titus, preach sound doctrine. But in order for an exalted Christ and a preached word to happen, there have to be people to support that ministry of worship and word. 
And it begins with the men, but it is followed alongside by the women. And I want you to go to the end of our, our, our text this morning, where Paul says to Titus, teach the women to do these things so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Can I say it this way? Men are to proclaim the word, and women, by your lifestyle, you are to protect the word. Your life can destroy the testimony of the gospel. And this is not legalism to focus on verses like this. This is a high calling, not only to your home, but to your God and to your church. And if it wasn't important, the Holy Spirit would not have inspired the Apostle Paul to write it. And if it was not true, he would not have included it in his word. But these are the things that I believe must be heard by the church of Jesus Christ today. And so men, you're sitting here this morning and you're tempted to put your hands behind your head, kick your feet up on the seat in front of you and think, this doesn't apply to me. I get the Sunday off. Because pastor's going to talk to my wife. I hope she's listening. But men, this becomes our prayer list. These are the things we should pray for. And for whatever sacrifice we must make, that our wives might more easily and readily become these things, we make it. Young men, boys, this becomes your prayer list for the girl you marry. These are the things you look for in a young lady. Women, these are the things that I pray God gives you a desire to be. Older women, that you would model these. Younger women, that you would seek help in finding these things. Cultivating these things in your own life. So that you too might make sure that the Word of God, the doctrine that saves, is never dishonored, but is always promoted. God works through means. And one of the means that God's work, God has worked through since the beginning of time has been the role of men and women in their various capacities. Not the same, but both equally important. I don't need to tell you that we are in the midst of a war. And I, I don't mean physically, although... The butchering of children is a physical war. But we are in a spiritual war, if nothing less. Part of that war is the rebellion of women against God's created, good, precious order. To reject what God created for good and 
for what God created for flourishing. It's a rejection of that. It is an absolute pushback, not against cultural norms, not against the patriarchy, not against any of those things. It is a rebellion against God. And we need to see it that way. And we need to see not only the negative, but we need to see the positive of how God created the church, and the Christian home, and individual lives to work and to flourish. And the Apostle Paul spells that out for Titus. Again, another young pastor in a very difficult place. Titus has been left in the island nation of Crete. And if you don't know anything about Crete at the time uh, of Paul's writing to this young man named Titus, the, the island of Crete was not uh, the, the job that a recent seminary graduate wants to apply for. For the same reason that people don't name their church Corinth anything. It has a bad reputation. In fact, uh, Cretans... Uh, were, were, was, was a pejorative term to call someone a, a liar or a Cretan. One from Crete. A sluggard, a drunkard, a problem creator. And so this is no easy place that Paul has sent young Titus to. And so Paul writes this letter to help this young man correct the problems in the church. And out of the gate... Paul says one of the fundamental things, Titus, that you've got to do is help men and women determine how it is God wants them to live as created male and female beings. Redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will say this, that nothing about what Paul says to Titus is possible apart from hearts that are saved and changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. None of these things are possible. Only Jesus makes these possible. And so, in saying that, I say this, that I am speaking primarily this morning to Christians. Because a non-Christian has no hope to live this kind of life. Their flesh, their own lust, their personal desires, their selfishness still reign supreme so that you can't fulfill Paul's mandate. But for Christians, this is our mandate. And it is possible. That's the good news. It is possible through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to live this way. In AD 62-64, which is roughly the time window that Paul would have written this letter, uh, Crete was not unlike America. Rampant immorality plagued the island. Crete had a particular problem. Children were being abandoned to die. Sound familiar? At alarming rates in Crete. Through their immorality, they then created greater immorality by leaving children to die. The family unit had all but broken down completely. Sound familiar? America, circa 2022. So what's the, what's the call then? Well, the call is for the church to look grossly different than the world around it. To look so strikingly 
contrary to the Lord. And, and by the way, it's okay to be contrarian in this case. To be countercultural. And Paul says the greatest thing we can do for the gospel is to live like you've been changed by the gospel. For a godly, healthy church. And when Paul writes, he begins this way. Remember in verse 1, but as for you, Titus, you speak the things which are fitting for sound. The word could literally be translated healthy doctrine. Preacher, stand up and preach the truth. Teach your church good doctrine, good theology, a right view of who God is and how God works, who man is and what man needs and where that need is found. Teach healthy doctrine. But then older men, older women, young women, young men, servants, employees, then you take what is preached by the grace of God and you live it out as one who has been redeemed, bought back out of your sins, out of your carnal desires. You live differently so that the world looks at you and says, what is going on? Notice the mandate comes in verse 3. Older women, likewise. Likewise. The the thing that uh, is mentioned as being appropriate for older men is also appropriate for older women. Ladies, let me encourage you. Men, let me encourage you. So much of what is passed off in the church, and I use the air quotes, please observe, in big evangelicalism, in the bookstores that are there today, passed off as women's ministry has nothing to do with women's ministry. Do you know what, women? Do you know what you need? Well, let me see here. Healthy doctrine. What do you need? The gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't need truncated, feel-good stories being told how much worth you have and all of these other silly things that don't strengthen you. You need the omnipotent, all-powerful God of the universe coursing in your veins. That doesn't come with a book like Girl, Wash Your Hair or whatever it is. It comes from knowing God. It comes from sound doctrine. And, and, and unless you think I'm you know, trying to enroll you all in seminary courses, this is Paul's word. Older women, likewise. You need the stabilizing, life-changing, life-giving power of the Gospel in you. You don't need to be condescendingly sold a load of tripe. You need truth. You need backbone giving truth. And he says, you older women, likewise, like the older men, like Titus, I want you to be changed by the truth. Because truth has effects. We're seeing in our society today the absolute final end of postmodernism that has removed truth. 
and look on the news and look in the street when we try to tell people it is wrong to murder children and people, particularly women, get out in the street and start screaming things like anti-abortion laws are killing us. Excuse me? It is good being called evil and evil being called good. And what you need is fortifying truth. Not a bunch of emotional things. And I'm not knocking emotions. God made them and they are proper in their place. But what you don't need is a bunch of psychotherapeutic babble. You need sound doctrine. That points you to your God. By whom you are loved in his son. And if God loves you. What else really matters? If you're accepted by the father. What else really matters? We need these truths coursing through our veins because it has an effect. And we see the effect of no truth. Now, Paul says, let me tell you what the effect of truth does. You see what no truth looks like. You see how that denigrates and destroys life and destroys women. Now, let me show you what makes women shine. It's the truth of sound doctrine and what it does in these women's lives who believe, who follow Jesus. It produces in them reverent behavior. Reverent behavior. It produces people who live with dignity. Who live in such a way that we look at them. Wow. What a model to emulate. What, what a godly woman to imitate. And, and let me just say, I'm thankful that our church has many women like that. I'm thankful that, that you ladies, I'm not sitting here worried that I'm going to, I'd say it anyway, but I'm not worried that after the service I need to have somebody watching my back, you know? I'm thankful for that, and I mean that. But we need reverent women in their behavior. Notice that Paul says, it is to the older women that I speak first. These are a particular segment or demographic within the church. Older women, you play a vital role in the body of Christ. It starts with you. Nicole and I enjoyed our vacation immensely. Thank you for allowing us the time away. We needed it. But boy, you sure see a lot of humanity. And I think one of the most discouraging things that you see when you go to crowded places is how the older women don't behave any better than the younger women. And you wonder why society is like it is. It doesn't take long to figure that out. Self-serving, selfish, immoral, brash, without dignity, without respect or common care or concern. You see that all over. I know I'm just 
throwing in some observations here, certainly not inspired, but one of the ways that this appears to me as an absolute rejection of what I see in Titus chapter 2 this morning, we're on our way to Central Florida, we drove through that oft-advertised community on the news, the Villages. A retirement community where you can come and hedonistically entertain yourself until you draw your last breath. And it's all well and fine. I'm all for enjoyment and having fun in life. But I asked Nicole as we drove through this, and by the way, the villages is a stretch of communities that goes on for miles. It's not one town. It's a connection of towns. And I asked her, I said, I wonder what possesses someone to uproot their lives at the end of life from everything they've known and everyone they know, particularly their younger families upon whom they could have such influence and leave that to go entertain themselves. What we need is we need older women around to model things. We need older men around to model things. Not to abandon the younger generations and say, well, we hope you figure it out. Paul's remedy is older and younger women, uh, older men and women, rather, stay around and invest in the upcoming generations. And again, I'm thankful for our church that that we have so many multi-generational families here. It's amazing. Grandparents, parents, younger kids. It's really, it's quite odd, to be honest. But but this is not my idea. This is not Warden June Cleaver, 1950s America ideal. This is God's ideal. Older men, older women, being in and around and interacting with and intersecting with and living with younger generations to train them. Because after all, the older should possess the greater wisdom. They've lived longer. They know more. And Paul's encouraging the older women to demonstrate the virtues of a life well lived in the gospel. And it comes out in reverent behavior. Demonstrate the power of the gospel in a life well lived by how you live, and to practice what you have preached, or at least what you have professed to believe. And the command that Paul gives is that older women behave in a godly, gospel-like manner. Don't detract from the gospel by your life. Rather, fortify what you're preaching with your life. And it looks like this, it is... Reverence. Literally translated, things befitting God. Proper sacrifice. Think of it in that term. It is a life that is appropriate that you would take to the worship of a holy God, of a transcendent God, and you would offer that life as a sacrifice. That's the idea of reverence. A life that is acceptable. 
Cleon Rogers says, it is a life that is suitable to holiness. Sanctified, sacred. Not the lewd behavior of the world. Rather dignified, modest behavior that is offered to God as an act of worship and as an example to other believers. How we need that. How we need that. Is anything more grotesque than the lewd and loud behavior of women today? It's just off putting, it's unnatural. It's almost scary. And Paul says, but, but a believing woman, particularly an older woman, live reverently. Live with a sense of dignity, a sense of holiness, that your life is one, as Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, is offered to the Lord as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable act of worship. Second, Paul goes on and he says, not only they to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips. Now, it's a well-established fact that as a whole, females speak more words. That's not a joke. It's not a denigration of women. I'm thankful that God created at least one of the two parts of creation to be able to speak fluently us men sometimes you know well you know but ladies have an ability to communicate and and let me just say this it's no accident that god created the most natural communicators to be the ones who shape the next generation by spending the most time with them You have tremendous ability to speak truth into your children's life. And God's given you that ability. But like everything else, the fall and sin can come along and it can warp and twist what God created for good and turned it into things that are evil. And so Paul says, the question is this, godly older lady, what should I be saying and am I saying that? Am I using my tongue for the purposes for which God created it. Not to be a slanderous gossip, not to be bad-mouthing people, not to be just yip, 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 yip. But as a shaping and forming and edifying tool of encouragement and instruction to others, how am I using my tongue? Paul says this is absolutely sinful. Do not fall Pray to Satan's use of speech. Rather, give place to God's use for speech, and that is to use it to teach and instruct and encourage. Be careful. It's a universal principle. Speak that which edifies. Paul then goes on to say, they are also not to be enslaved to much wine, to things that intoxicate them. Now, I will say this. And we'll say more about it this summer in our summer Sunday school series when you're in my class on the Christian and technology. 
But in Paul's day, wine was the intoxicating factor, and it still is. It's still a potential problem to use chemical, and it could be more than wine. It could be any number of things that dull the mind, that, that, that subdue the mind, that take you out of reality and uh, render you ineffective and even problematic by your sense of intoxication. And Crete, again, as I mentioned earlier, they were known for their drunkenness and their laziness, and particularly the women couldn't function without their alcohol. May I say kindly and lovingly, Christian, that is no way for a Christian to live. To say, I've got to have this or I can't survive. You know, went in a cupcake shop here in town the other day and you had all kinds of signs and one of them was, you know, something to the effect of what an annoyance children were and mom just needed her alcoholic beverage. So how sad. It's no way for a Christian to live. We live in dependence upon Christ, not in dependence upon chemicals. Christ strengthens, Christ helps. And so he says, don't be enslaved to anything that intoxicates the mind. It, it could be prescription drugs. It could be alcohol. It could be illicit drugs. It could be, let me say it this way, nowadays it's proven scientifically. It could be social media that is your escape. It is proven that it is having the same effect upon brain matter and thinking and cognitive ability. We dull our minds with so many things. And the principle, specifically in this case, is intoxicating chemical. But it could be anything, ladies, that dulls your mind. That pulls you out of reality. Be careful. Guard your mind. Don't be intoxicated by anything. Keep a clear mind that is sharp and able and ready to be the tool of shaping others that God created you to be. Especially with your use of words. Which is a beautiful thing in God's hand. He says then they're to teach what is good. Well, if your speech is wrong and your mind is wrong, how can you teach what is good? You can't. And so he says, teach what is good, instruct, be engaged in, in shaping the next generation. Literally, it is advice or encouragement given privately by word and example. That's the specific meaning of Paul's words here. It's one on one. It's friends. It, it, it's encouraging that uh, that that. Uh, relationship where the older woman is teaching the younger woman because her mind is right her heart is right therefore she is teaching godly things and it starts with teaching our children influencing our children to the maximum capacity paul will go on and touch on that in a moment but the greatest Teachers in the world should be mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers and aunts and other older ladies in the church. You, God has called you. What a high calling. We don't need universities. We need godly women in the home. 
is the character of an older godly woman. She is teaching. Look at verse 4. Paul begins with a purpose statement. So that. Here's why. Here's why I just said what I said. Unless you think I'm just trying to you know, beat down on people and harm people and all those sorts of things. Here's why I said what I said. So that they can encourage young women to do some certain things. Older women, you're the cause. The effect will be seen in the younger women, the generation that comes behind you. And what are they to teach? They're to teach and encourage young women to love their husbands. Gas on the fire. What do you mean teaching me to love my husband? That's the feminist response, right? Love my husband, submit to my... No way, I'm free from that. Well, the world may be, but not the Christian. A Christian woman is bound to Christ, and in being bound to Christ, she will have a capacity and a desire to love her husband And the older women are there to help her in that. I don't know. Maybe men, we should take this as a bit offensive. (laughs) Perhaps we're more difficult to love than we think. And so Paul has to tell, uh, uh, I've got a hair or something that's bugging me. I'm sorry. There it is. Um, The woman you gave me, you know. Uh, We're hard to love, and so our wives need help (laughs) loving us. I know it's true in my case. But to be husband lovers, to be one who devotes themselves affectionately to the one whom God has given them. And you say, well, you know, is that just like a sappy romantic thing? What's the purpose of this love that is to be communicated and demonstrated by an older woman to a younger woman? Let me just tell you how powerful that is. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, there may be an unbelieving husband. And it may be through a loving wife that he's won to Christ. That's the power of love of a wife for her husband. She can literally direct his heart by her love. She can win him over by her love for him. That's the power of love. Are we husbands right in everything we do? No, but I'll tell you what melts my heart faster than anything is the love of my wife. I mean, you know, when I respond wrongly, when I do something wrong to have my wife love me and forgive me as she so often has to do, nothing is more convicting and heart melting than that. And so, ladies, you bear a tremendous power in your love for husbands. And what is the culture telling us to do? Don't love your husband, that domineering, chauvinistic, patriarchal kind of thing. You need to love your... Yeah. Not what Paul says, is it? I marvel. Sometimes social media is not good. Because it really gets discouraging at a point. I saw a post yesterday by someone I know. And it was a long post. 
lamenting and repenting of the fact that she had just not loved herself enough. What? How sad, how heartbreaking for her. Paul doesn't say teach the younger women to love themselves. To elevate their own self sense of self-worth. What? To do what? Love their husbands and their children. Why? Because that is a world-changing love. The feminist view sees both husbands and children as obstacles to your greater self. Paul says it's not about yourself. It's not about anybody's self. It is about Christ. And if you want to bear the maximum impact for Christ, you'll live contrary to everything the world tells you to do. In fact, that's a pretty good rule of thumb. If the world's saying you should do this, you should probably just do the opposite. Pretty safe bet. And Paul says, if you want to shape the world for Christ, if you want to make a difference on eternity, this is how you live. A woman who loves her husband and loves her children. She literally can change the world. What does that require? It requires sacrifice. Do we have a pattern for that in Scripture? Do we have an example of love that demonstrates itself through sacrifice? It seems we do, don't we? And it was demonstrated on a cross. And so for, let's just use the term this way, women of the cross, are you to do any different? It is hard. And it is sacrificial, but you are not alone in doing it, for your Savior has gone before you and loved and sacrificed so that you are not only cleansed from your selfishness and your sin, but you are given a supreme, infinite help in loving as He loved. He's not asking you to do anything He Himself has not already done. And Paul says, older women, teach the young women who are prone by their passions, prone by their own uh, desires at a young stage in life, prone to other things. Teach them to love their husbands well and to love their children that God gives them well. This is an eternity-shaping reality. And by the way, moms... You can't be replaced. You just can't. Wives, you can't be replaced. I love you men. I hope you know that. And some of you men encourage me in ways you have no idea. And I appreciate you more than I could say. But there ain't nobody that encourages me like Nicole. And her love for me. There's, there's nobody who helps like she helps. You, you just can't put a price tag on that. And you can't quantify it. And so women, love your husbands. And then, then Paul says, teach the younger women to be sensible. That, that is to be sober of sound mind, curbing one's desire. Not silly. Boy, we have so much silliness. So much silliness. It's all, it's, have you guys realized it, it's to the point now it's grotesque? It's not funny anymore. 
it's just weird and it's inappropriate and it's off-putting. And Paul says, teach younger women to be sensible, that is to be serious-minded, not to be indulgent, to use discretion. Particular brand of women's razors tells us or tells you women to indulge your inner goddess in their commercials. That's not sensible. It's idolatry, number one. Number two, it's not possible. And it only leaves you broken and empty. So older women teach young women, young women, young men looking for a young lady. Look for one who is sober-minded, sensible in all things, who loves Christ. Who doesn't believe that somewhere trapped inside her is a goddess that she needs to release. Young men, you'll become collateral damage in her pursuit of her inner goddess. Paul says, teach them to be pure. We read the, Larry read the the absolute, and, and I know, it was Mother's Day, and yes, I picked Proverbs 7 for contrast. Purity is the absolute contrast of Proverbs chapter 7. And here Paul says, teach young women to be pure. Older women teach younger women that the greatest thing they can give to their husbands, to their children, is the beautiful, sacred nature of their own purity. Chaste. Modest, the word means. It also means, now here's something that the world absolutely rejects. The word literally means possessing a healthy measure of shame. You know what you have a hard time doing today? Making people blush. You know why? The culture has lost a sense of shame about anything. And Paul says instill in the younger women a sense of modesty and shame about certain things. That they do blush. That they do recoil. That they do run from. Instead of of putting it in front of them and desensitizing them, help them feel a sense of shame about certain things that are immoral and inappropriate to a Christian's life that would detract from the cross. There are a lot of ways you can do that. What we listen to, what we read, what we watch, what we wear. And sometimes older ladies, all it takes is putting your arm around a young lady and say, would you do that at the foot of the cross? Oh, you're right. It it, it seems like it should be a non-starter. And I, I can remember even early on in ministry 20 years ago that when you counseled people regarding purity and modesty 
pornography almost always only came up with men. And I can't tell you how many times in the last few years it's come up in counseling and situations with women too. It's not just a problem among men. Women need to be taught purity and modesty and chasteness. And men, we ought to value and praise that. Both by shunning it in our own lives, but also praising it in the lives of our wife. Honey, I'm thankful you're modest. Honey, I, you know, to our daughters, I, Daddy is proud of you for making that choice. I, I, that's wonderful. And exalt that virtue rather than denigrate that virtue. He goes on to say the arena in which this happens is the home. To be a home builder. To do whatever is necessary to give yourself to the home. Now I I understand that is not a popular statement today. But I stand without apology in making it. Because Scripture makes it. Women are never to abandon their home. Now, does that mean women can't do anything outside of the home? Absolutely not. But it does mean their first priority is that the home is in order. And then explore other opportunities. But don't neglect first priority. Your first priority is your home. And that changes. You have more time the older your kids get. You have, you know, different needs at different stages in life. But you have to keep as your priority, job number one, keep your home. And if you think it's not that important, husband, send your wives away for a week. Let her come home and prove how important it is. She'll probably never leave you again. Because you're irreplaceable in the home. To teach, to oversee, to coordinate. I shudder to think what our house would be if I was in charge. And nobody replaces you. Not in your natural domestic productivity. Not in your spiritual ability, ladies, to teach and to encourage. Nobody loves your family like you can and should. Nobody can do for your family what you can and should. Show your husband, show your children how to show hospitality. Kindness to others. By the way... It's not stated here explicitly, but for an elder to be qualified, one of the things that he has to be is hospitable. Guess who helps men be hospitable? Their wives. (laughs) We can be open to it and willing and support it and do whatever's necessary, but ladies, you possess the skills. And that's a dying skill, by the way. That hospitality that opens up the home 
to others and shows others a glimpse of Christ inside the home. Women, you're given the comprehensive nature of care in the home until your children are gone, until your husband is gone. Home with the Lord. It's non-negotiable. He says you have to teach them to be workers at home. Not busybodies out doing a million other things when the work at home is neglected. No, if there are other things you can do and the home is in order, fine. The keepers at home, subject to their own husbands. Oh boy. Here we go with the submission topic. Subject to one's own husband. Again, Paul turns back to the heart of the woman. It's not... Not just that physically she begrudgingly does what he tells her to do as he places her in the deepest chains of patriarchal prison. That's not it. It's a heart that because she has loved her husband, now she submits to him. She trusts him. And men, it's incumbent upon us never to violate that trust. To build. I, I, I often have marveled, again, in Marriage counseling, men, she doesn't respect me. She doesn't submit to me. And I'm sitting across the desk thinking, I wouldn't either. You're a jerk. You haven't loved your wife. You've given her no reason. Now, I understand that doesn't violate the Lord's command. She's still to submit. But buddy, you can make it a whole lot easier by loving her well by treating her well, by caring for her far more than she could ever submit to you. That's how Jesus loved the church, right? Yeah, okay. But ladies, the more you love your husband, the easier it becomes to submit to your husband. That's why I believe Paul puts that first before submission. Love makes submission doable. It makes it even joyful. And that's the part that the world can't get. They hate submission because they don't know how to love. They're so entrenched in selfishness. But if you love somebody, you'll submit to them. Watch teenagers and their friends. If they love their friends, they will be easily manipulated by their friends. Influenced by their friends. Why? Because love opens us up to that. Therefore, women love your husband. In loving your husband, you won't have any problem with the submitting issue. Why? Because we do it because God's commanded. It is for God's glory. It demonstrates even Christ's own ministry to the Father. Before the Father, He submitted to His Father. And Paul instructs us in Ephesians 5 that Husbands are to love the wife like Christ loved the church, and women are to submit to their husbands as Christ submitted to his own father's will. Economic subordination. Not eternal subordination, but economic. In his ministry here on earth, Christ submitted himself to the father's rule and the father's will. There's another interesting dynamic at work here. Notice Paul's interesting phrasing of this. Being subject to their own husbands. Ladies, 
you're not to submit to any other man. It is to your own husband. As to the Lord. There's. You've heard the phrase. A workplace spouse. You better be careful with that. Too many affairs, too many things, immorality has, has happened because women have submitted themselves to another man. A boss at work, a friend, a neighbor, anything that binds her loyalty to him over her own husband, Paul says, cut it out. Be submissive to your own husband. Not someone else. It becomes the cause of much sin. And in Crete, it's no wonder, given the level of rampant immorality, the rampant level of infidelity, that Paul would spell this out to the older women to teach the younger women that it is your own husband to whom you should love and ultimately submit. And I'll end where I began. And in doing this, you'll ensure that the Word of God that finds its apex in the Gospel of Jesus Christ is not, is not dishonored. To live contrary to what I've said would be to dishonor the Word of God that finds its culmination in the Gospel of God and thereby destroy Christianity completely. So this really does become, as people are fond of saying today, a Gospel issue. It reflects directly on the work of our Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. Women, you bear more influence, more power than you can possibly imagine. And I think, again, I, I rejoice in saying this, and I know I don't say it in the sense that anyone here is perfect, but I do say it in the sense that I know so many of you have Walk this road enough that you find the joy in it. Because it's God's created way. It's God's created order. And you rejoice in it. You love it. It's precious to you. And so many of you ladies here do that so well. And I am singularly blessed as the pastor here to observe that. It's wonderful. But we need to pray that God would make us persevering. Notice the quality in verse 2 of the older men. There, to, it, He ends with perseverance. We need to pray that God will cause us to persevere in this way and not to follow any other way. There's always going to be different ways coming at us. We've got to have the discernment and the will to fight against those and to pursue God's way. May God make us persevering in it. May God make us 
more adept at it, that we would grow in it, and may God give you more joy in it. May God grant you greater fulfillment in it. Women, you're not called necessarily to be the leaders, but boy, do you lead by example in ways that men never will because God hasn't created it that way. No one else can do it. We need you, ladies. This, Titus chapter 2, verses 3-5, through five, is a godly woman's picture. May God grant you women, whether old or young, to be these kind of women. May God give our sons wives like this. May God continue to raise up generations who believe this and practice this. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Son who makes this possible by His life, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. Father, I pray that You would encourage, strengthen, equip, affirm, And build the women in this church. For your kingdom. For your glory. Thank you Father for the precious ladies who are here. Who so well embody so much of what Paul had in mind in this passage. I am grateful for them. I pray for them. Lord, may we as husbands be more vocal in our praise of their lives. May we be more sacrificial for their lives so that this just becomes such a joy and delight for them because it is such a powerful testimony and we know that the Word of God is not blasphemed. It's not denigrated. When these precious treasures of our wives of our moms of ladies are shine and put on full display so bless them lord help them encourage them help us to be an encouragement to them cause them to know how deeply they are loved appreciated needed And we thank you for it. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.